Hello, and welcome back to the While We're Waiting Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. This is a podcast of stories, stories of devastating loss and grief and heartbreak and struggle, and stories of hope and healing and faith and, yes, even joy. Underlying every conversation is the hope we have in Jesus Christ, which makes it possible to not just survive the loss of a child, but to live well while we're waiting to see them again in heaven one day. You can learn more about our ministry and the free bereaved parent retreats we host by visiting our website at www.whilewerewaiting.org. Welcome to episode number 123, which is a continuation of my conversation with Kim Allison, the author of Desperate Trust and the mother of nine children, five on the ground, as she likes to say, and four in heaven. Last week, she shared the stories of her three babies in heaven, and today she will introduce us to her remarkable adult son, Timothy. We will pick up the story right where we left off last week. So now let's shift gears a little bit with your story and talk about your son, Timothy. Now, he was your third born son, right? Yes. All right. Tell us about him. Well, um, he was always a, a happy boy and a kinesthetic learner. He had to touch things. He had to climb them. He had to feel it and just wrestle it to learn. He had to always be moving. He could not sit still and never could. But he wasn't hyper. He was just busy. I remember him um, when he was in high school coming through the kitchen, which is where I lived. I lived in the kitchen. I was always cooking. And he said, I'm not going to wait until I retire to see the world and do all the things there are to do. I'm going to do it now. I'm going to do it up front. And I remember thinking, can you do that? Do people do that? And how do they do that? I was just like, huh. But he did. He learned how to work on appliances in about two weeks. He job shadowed my brother in his uh, appliance business, and then he was off on his own. And he didn't even have his license to drive yet. He was 14, so he had a motorcycle license, and he put his tools on his motorcycle and took off. And he would make enough money on this appliance repair work that he could fly to another country. And as soon as he would get a little pile of money, he was off and he would come through the kitchen again and he'd say, I think I'm going to go to um, uh, the Amazon next. And I remember saying, have you prayed about that? And he said, mom, if I get the idea, that means it's from God. And I thought, oh, okay. Okay. So I was always learning from him, like new ways to do things. And new ways to live. And he, um, from the first time he left, he went to Taiwan, uh, right after he graduated from high school, he wanted to be the youngest one in our family to graduate. So at 16, he graduated and I was praying, Lord, open a door for him the minute he graduates, because I don't want a bored child. I, you know, that's a bad thing. And so the door opened for him to go to Taiwan for a month And he loved it so much, he wanted to go back and spend a year teaching English in their public schools. And I kidded with him because English was his weakest subject as far as, you know, but comma placement and capital letters and things like that. But he didn't really want to go to college. He didn't want to waste the time because he had, 
ideas for entrepreneurship. And he said, Mom, do I really have to go to college? And I said, no, you do not. Even though my husband and I both have college degrees, we didn't think that was necessary unless it was, you know. And I said, you do not have to. But uh, the pressure was on from family and friends. Everyone just kept telling him he had to get a degree. So um, we found out about this um, college program where you could test out of the classes and just study on your own and take the test. And there are several ways to test out and several different companies do that. And so he started testing out of college classes and it took him a year and a half to get his four-year degree. And that was with a few mission trips in there where he would take off a month and then get back on it. So he went on a week, uh, first a month-long trip to Taiwan and then a year. And actually, it was a couple of years between there. But he told me it was one of the best ideas he ever had. He said, you know, some trips are just terrible and you wish you had never gone. But, but that one was really uh, good for him. And he learned Chinese. And I thought everyone who went learned Chinese, but they did not. And some of them were there, you know, a long time and they still, I, I thought, hmm. And, but he learned it so well that even years later, he ran across people from China and he would start speaking Chinese to them. And uh, one fellow was a foreign exchange student and he just, Timothy started talking to him and he got teary eyed because he said, I haven't heard my you know, dialect, my native tongue in so long. And it was just a blessing. And I told Timothy, I think you have a gift of languages because wherever he went in about a couple of weeks or a month, he could speak well enough to be understood. And uh, the longer, the better, but um, it was amazing. And he would say, no, mom, you're just being a mom. And finally, someone else told him that along the path. And he said, well, maybe you're right. Maybe I do. Maybe there's a gift there. And I think it was just all part of who, you know, God had, what God had planned for his life was other countries in the world. And he had to be ready to learn the language just to communicate the gospel. And that was what the trips were mostly mostly missionary focus. Sometimes uh, he would just go and do work, like construction work to help others. But one of his favorite verses was out of James where it says, show me your faith and I'll show you my faith by my works. It's something like, (laughs) you know, and so it was he would go do the work and sometimes, you know, the, the heavy work and drilling wells in the Amazon and, and rebuilding houses in a Indian reservation and in Alaska and doing things in other countries. And he said it was to him, it was just as necessary as preaching the gospel, the nuts and bolts of it and mm-hmm. where the rubber meets the road. And one missionary family that he knew of, he sent them, he asked, what do you need through Instagram? And she said, well, we need new tires for our vehicle. So, okay. So he sent the money for new tires and they were able to continue in the ministry and doing what God sent them to do uh, because they had tires. You know, it seems really basic and not very romantic, but, but all part of, you know, what's needed. Okay. He went to Singapore the Philippines, Southeast Asia, South Korea, Brazil, Mexico, Costa Rica, Hong Kong, Alaska. And he 
had a passport. He got his first passport when he was 16 and it was completely full. And he got his second passport when he was 26 and it was completely empty. Hmm. And I remembered what he had said about doing everything up front, not waiting till he retired. And I am so glad that he acted on that. Like the Lord gave him that thought and that idea. Like he said, if I get an idea, it's from the Lord and that he acted on it and didn't miss a thing. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he was able to speak Chinese, Portuguese, Spanish, and that's just that I know of. Got into all kinds of sports, skydiving, kayaking, motorcycles, kite surfing, tennis. He was going to be a professional tennis player at one point and football. He thought he could do that too. And um, so everything he got into, it was full steam. It was nothing held back. And um, he went on a 1300 mile bike trip with a friend to raise awareness for three ministries, one in the Amazon and and one was human trafficking. And uh, I don't remember what the other one was, but I don't think he raised a penny, but he just went on this bike ride with this friend and they made it. They slept outside. They slept in strangers' homes or along the highway. And at the end of the ride, they were at the Gulf and someone took a picture of them both with their arms up in the air, like victory. They had made it. And it's such a encouraging picture because all he had to do was set a goal and he would make it. There was no, there was so much determination. He would never quit skills. He could do carpentry, plumbing, electric enough to take care of things. You know, he didn't have licenses and all those things, but um, he was also certified in EMR and scuba and computers. And so just uh, my husband would tell him, son, you need to focus you know, we need to narrow this down instead of just being so all over the board. And yeah. he just couldn't couldn't find it. You know what was going to be the one thing until uh, he landed on flying, and he loved to fly. And um, I guess he got his first pilot, his private pilot's license when he was twenty one. And from then on, he was striving to the next level always. Whenever he would get his you know, certification in one level, he was always studying for the next and practicing and um, keep going. I wrote a family newsletter every year for over 20 years. And I would ask him now, what can I put in the newsletter? Where are you with your flights and or with your flying certificates, certifications? And he said, well, just wait on that. Just, just don't put anything. Just wait till I get where I'm going with it. And he didn't like me to brag on him. Because he said, Mom, I hate it when I go somewhere and you've been there talking about me. (laughs) He said, I feel like they expect me to walk on water. And I said, well, you know, (laughs) can't you? And no, no, he could not. Wow. What an amazingly well-rounded young man. I mean, well-rounded doesn't even seem to be the right word to describe him. I'm really fascinated by his ability to pick up languages like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think about my my brother and his family are missionaries in Indonesia, and they went to language school for like nine months before they, mm-hmm. you know, kind of could start on their mission over there. And uh, to think that somebody could pick up languages like that, particularly Chinese, that has mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. relationship to English right. Um, right, in such a short amount of time. That's just right. amazing. What an incredible young man. 
Well, I found his notebooks from when he was over there, and it's page after page of practicing the characters. Mm. So not only could he speak it, but he was reading it as well. He yeah. was and practicing making those intricate, involved letters. And just, he was determined, you know, yeah. when he was in his motto, which at one time I told the kids, you can pick a verse to go on the wall and I'll get it in those vinyl letters and put it where you sleep. Because mm-hmm. I had them crammed into these little bedrooms. And I wanted them to have their own little, at least something that, you know, they could identify with, you know, this is my space right here. And so Timothy said, does it have to be a verse out of the Bible? And I'm like, oh, what, what do you want? And he had a quote by Jim Elliott that said, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. And so I said, yes, you can have that. So that is still on the wall in the boys' room. And that's what he lived by. Wherever he was, he was all there. And I didn't realize um, until we were studying it that Jim Elliott was also taken home at age 28 on the mission field. Yeah. Wow. He was also, well, he was a lot like Timothy, or Timothy was a lot like him, just really a gangbuster kind of fella getting into everything available. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was just thinking the same thing, that they remind me of each other, just what I know about Jim Elliott for sure. Yeah. So talk about what happened to Timothy in April of 2021. Okay, well, um, I couldn't keep up with his flight schedule because he was just always in and out. And he had finally gotten up to um, commercial CFII, which commercial flight instructor, instructor. And so that finally he said, I could put that in the newsletter. And he had just, in fact, the month before I said, tell me, tell me what to put. And he started that's another thing about Timothy he could make me laugh so easily and we laughed so much at each other at me um but he said put in there that i have a plane and a corvette and i just need a wife and if you could everyone send their applications in and send a picture and he was making up this idea that that i could take applications for him to get a wife because he poor thing he had to eat a dinner at a different house every night because he didn't have a wife to cook for him. And, uh, but he didn't mind that at all. But um, so he was gone often and I didn't know, but I would always text him and tell him what was for dinner. And if I was cooking breakfast that he could come by. So he would know what was on the menu to know if he wanted to bother or not. Um, He was always so busy. And so one morning, one Saturday morning, I sent him a text and, told him I was cooking breakfast and the little boys were here, his little nephews that he loved dearly. And I didn't hear back from him, which was common because he would either show up or he wouldn't. He didn't have time to text back. And so I didn't think anything of it, not hearing from him. I just thought he was on a flight somewhere. Um, but later that morning, my youngest son called and he said, Mom, Timothy's plane lost radar contact on the way to the airport in Florida. And I remember then that he was flying a dentist and his family to Florida. And I said, I didn't know what to say. I thought I had always believed that all of us are indestructible until our purpose is finished. And Timothy 
really put that to the test, but I had seen him walk away from things and he had told us about situations in different places where he had been uh, that could have been the end, you know, that could have been it for anybody else, but he would walk away. And, and I just knew in, if he was in God's will, then that was the safest place for him to be. And so when he said that, I didn't really, I just thought, okay, it lost radar contact. Um, that's all right. You know, that happens, you know, and, and I said, well, and he said, mom, that's just, that's just what I know. And, and so he gave me who had told him and it was a friend was waiting for them in Florida and he never showed up. And so I contacted that person and they told me what they knew. And I got, um, that the last they had had contact with his airplane was over Yale County, Arkansas. And so I called the sheriff in that county and I said, there's, I explained the situation. Uh, there's a plane that's missing and it's over your area. Have you, do you know anything about it? And he said, I'm on my way right now to a downed plane that we found. Mm. And he said, I, I'm going to have to go off grid. So you won't hear from me for a couple of hours, but I'll call you back when I come back and I'll let you know. And so we, word spread through the family, and my other son came in the door, my daughter-in-law came in the door, and, and my husband was out of town turkey hunting, and the son that had called me was going to meet him out of town and go turkey hunting, and he said, but now, he said, I am driving to Arkansas. I'm going to find him myself. And I said, well, I believe he's going to walk away. He will walk away from it because I knew he was good. And I said, he can land that plane and he's the best pilot in this state, you know, and I had, I have pretty elevated opinion of my children, but, um, I knew he was good at whatever he did. So it almost like everything he touched would turn to gold. And so I called a daughter in Tulsa and I told her what the situation was. And I said, but I believe he's going to walk away. And she said, okay. I will take my piece and I'll continue studying. She was taking college classes. And then the other daughter, um, I think her brother called her. I'm really not sure how that happened. But so we waited and I talked to my mom. And so everybody was just waiting to hear back from the sheriff. And after a while, he called and we're all, I had him on speakerphone. And we were all just staring at the phone, and he said, there are no survivors. And at that moment, <laughs> but it's funny the things that will stick in your mind, but I saw my daughter, Jubilee, she had really long hair. And I saw her hair go up over in an arch because she just went down. She just mm -hmm. threw herself down on the ground and... I just didn't know what to say. He's on the phone. And I just said, thank you and hung up and things just fell apart. But honestly, I talked to my mom and she said, is he sure that's their plane? Well, now that was a new question. Maybe mm -hmm. it's not. Maybe it's not. Maybe there's another plane. And, you know, you think strange things when you're in that moment. So I called him back and I said, are you sure that that is the same plane? And he said, the numbers match. And um, so 
the thing I think I had with all of his adventures, and I didn't even tell half of them or a quarter of them of all the dangerous, crazy things he had done and where he'd been, I got so accustomed to him being this indestructible person that it really didn't compute that anything could have happened to him. And it was like, um, almost like we couldn't receive it, like just too big of a shock. It was too impossible. It can't happen. And it just couldn't happen. Right. And I want, I didn't want my daughters to find out on the phone what had happened. And so I went to drive to an hour to tell one daughter and left my youngest one at home. And it turns out everybody just kind of wandered off and she was left here by herself and for about three hours. And I thought, wow, how did that happen? And when I was trying to help one daughter and I abandoned another one and just, I couldn't be, I wanted to, I wanted to surround all of my children and I couldn't, I couldn't yeah. reach, I couldn't reach them. Yeah. And it was at a point where I had to trust, I had to give everybody to God and trust that he would take care of them. And I was trying to be that mama hen and, you know, just, just hide everyone. But when we all got back together, still couldn't believe this could ever happen and was still, I think in shock, but, um, the, the girls that were here. So I had two girls here and a son that came and went to both two of my sons that lived close, really close. We all live within five miles of each other, except for the ones that are in Tulsa. But whenever I would hear them falling apart, because especially at first there was a lot of screaming going mm. on and like, we just couldn't receive it. I, I was there, there was a lot of denial and, like this can't happen that I think growing up homeschooling as well, that we were all together. Yeah. We weren't, weren't separated every day into different rooms and different friends. We, they were each other's best friend. And it's just that closeness that was, it was like, this can't be broken. How can this be broken? This, our circle, our family circle be broken. And um, there were just no, there was no comfort. There was no answers. But I had just come through. I'd gone to this ministry course called Set Free Prayer Ministry, where they teach how to help people through grief and trauma. And so I had some tools to work with. And I would just, each one that was falling apart, I would just cover them with a prayer and pray for them. And I had to pray really loud to pray over their wailing, really. And I just would say, Lord, we're going to miss Timothy's smile, his laughter. We're going to miss his appetite. He had a, you know, he had the Allison appetite and people were amazed at what he could eat and was just didn't care. Just open the cabinet doors and start eating. And we're going to miss that. And we're going to miss him hugging us, his big bear hugs. And I just listed everything I could think of. And then I said, but we can't carry this grief. It's too heavy for us. And so we just hand this grief to you. And we ask you, Lord, to carry it. 
We ask you to replace it with your peace and tell us whatever it is you need to know. And I uh, would just hold this daughter and they would get calm. The, the weeping would stop and the screaming would stop and there would be a peace. You could tell that it worked. And then the Lord would tell them what they needed to know, which was amazing because it was something I would never have thought to say. And I knew that no human could tell me anything that helped. You know, they tried. Everybody tried their little cliches and none of it worked. But when the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, it works. There's comfort. And so the one daughter told me later, she said, you know, when we were little kids and you told us, <sighs> you told us about eternity and you that it would never end. And she said, I couldn't understand that when I was a little kid, it hurt my head. And I said, yeah, it will if you try to understand it. And she said, but you told us we cannot understand eternity yet because our brains are created for this world of days and nights and weeks and time. But when we get over there to the next world, we will be equipped to understand it. We will understand it, but we don't now. We don't have to now. And she said, I thought of that in relation to Timothy. And she said, I was beating myself up because I couldn't understand it. And I was saying, come on, you've got a college degree. You can do this. You can understand. Why can't you understand this? And she said, but when you prayed that prayer, the Lord reminded me of that, that talk we had. And I realized, I realized I can't understand it. I'm not equipped. We are not equipped to understand this, but we will. We will eventually. And she said, I was able to set that aside and to just let it you know, go because she said, I realized I'm just not going to understand it. And it brought so much peace to her. And I wouldn't have thought to tell her that. I wouldn't have remembered that conversation and tried to tie it in. And I was just so grateful that, for one thing, I had this tool to use and that the Lord the Holy Spirit is just waiting for us to ask and not try to figure it out ourselves, but to ask him, what do we need to know? What is the truth I need to understand here? And for my other daughter, it was, you know, we prayed the same prayer and she got really quiet and she re remembered something. And she said, I remember when a family member had their baby and they were telling her how difficult the labor was and that they wanted out of it and kept saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. And, and finally she realized I have to do this. Right. I can't, I can't get out of it. I have to go through this. And she said, when she, when I prayed that prayer and asked the Lord, what do you want her to know? She remembered that conversation and she had been saying, I can't do this. I can't go through this. And she said when she remembered that, it was like the Lord was telling her, you have to, that you will go through this. And But, of course, he would be with her. And it was her moment of acceptance, like she, instead of denial. And she told me that months later, that that was the moment when I realized I have to go through it. Yeah. And plus the rest of the analogy is on the other side of that horrendous labor experience, there is something beautiful. Mm -hmm. 
there is a baby and we we haven't gotten to that beauty yet from the ashes but i know that it's there it's going to be and um it's been over a year now and we're able to talk about it easier but it's still you know the greatest pain in our lives i think everyone would go back and change it if they could and bring him back that he was really the the glue in our family that just made everything fun. When there were other family members that were at odds, he would make a joke about it and have everyone laughing and uh, laughing at themselves. And so um, just um, amazing person, but only through the Holy Spirit. And well, I'll tell you one more is my little five-year-old grandson. He was going to stay the night with us after Timothy's funeral. And he just looked so broken and so hurt. And he asked something about it. And I said, do you want to talk about Uncle Tim? And he said, Mimi, it hurts. And I said, does it hurt your heart? Because that's where it hurts me. And he said, Mimi, it hurts all over. And he started just pointing to all over his body. And I said, do you want to pray about it? And he knew how we prayed about things. And he said, yes, but after we get in bed. Okay. So we got all snuggled up in bed. And I said, now tell me what you're going to miss about Uncle Tim. And he said, I'm going to miss his encouraging words because he would tell me, you can do it, Brantley. You can do it. Even when I knew I couldn't. And he would run with me on his shoulders outside and he would play games with me. I'm going to miss all that. And I said, okay. So I started the prayer, Lord, we're going to miss, Brantley's going to miss Uncle Tim's encouraging words. He's going to miss playing with him, playing games with him, running on his shoulders, riding on his shoulders, running through the yard. And But he can't carry this. It is too heavy for him to carry. And so we just hand all this sadness to you, Lord, ask you to carry it for us and to replace it with your peace in his heart. And would you tell him what he needs to know? And he got so excited. He started saying, Mimi, Mimi, one time, one time Uncle Tim and I were carrying some boards and mine were heavier than his. So I kept dropping mine. And he said, you can do it, Brantley. You can do it. He said, just pick them up. You're almost there. And he said, I picked them up and I took one more step and bam, I was there. And he was so excited. He was just his face was beaming. And I said, well, when did this happen? Was it when you were working on your barn? And he said, maybe it didn't happen. It never happened. And I said, it never happened. And he said, no, it never happened. But he was so excited. And I said, you know, you know how I just asked the Lord to show you what you needed to know. And I said, I think God gave you that little picture, that little movie to tell you something. I think it means something. I said, I think it means that it's really hard right now to be without him. But in just one more step, just not long at all, we're all going to be back together again. We'll be back together. And he knew about heaven. We had talked about it a lot. And he knew about, you know, death and all that. And so I said, I think it means that it won't be long. And he was so excited. He said, it does, Mimi. That's what it means. That's what it means. And he had gone from the most, the saddest little boy I have ever seen to laughing with excitement mm-hmm. within five minutes. It, it was a transformation that I couldn't have done. I, it, I 
the Holy Spirit just knew what to show him and knew what he needed to see. And I am so grateful for that ministry and so grateful that I went to the classes and had finished them up in December before Timothy left us in April. And it has been so helpful to so many people. Yes. Well, that's what I'm thinking are the people who are listening to this that hear that little prayer, that they can pray that over their children or over their spouse or even over themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. Such a practical, practical prayer and, and concrete thing that you can do when you're in those very, <laughs> just the, the throes of grief, you know? Right. And it follows the scripture that says, cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. That's what you're doing. You're naming, you're just naming them and casting them off onto Jesus and then asking him what's the truth. And he wants us to do that. And, you know, it is true that someone died and that's our little slice that we can see that slice of life. But when we ask the Lord, what is the truth we need to know. What do we need to see here? It's like he opens the curtains and shows us the bigger picture of whatever it is we need to see. You know, what? what is it? And um, just what will speak to our heart. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, at the mom's retreat that you attended, you said that you thought Timothy knew that his life was going to be short. What makes you think that? Because of uh, three things right off the top of my head. There was, um, I found his journal entries and I'm a journaler and a writer. So I would always give my kids journals for Christmas and they would write very little, very little. (laughs) And Timothy would write in one or two pages and that was it. Yeah, that's all. And mm-hmm. it, it might span three years time, you know, one entry per year. But I found some of his old journals and one of them was a desperate prayer. It was in all these exclamation points and it was, dear God, give me time. Help me to influence people. <laughs> As I, I, God answered God answered his prayers. Like he said, um, help me to influence other people. Show me how to live, you know, to where others will know you and and give me time with all these exclamation points after it as if he knew that he didn't have much time because he was 16 when he wrote that. And I just think how many 16 year olds think their life is like they're going to be short on time. Yeah. They think they have all the time in the world. Who would be thinking? Yeah. And another one said, life is too short to not be happy all the time. And again, I'm thinking what teenager says life is too short. You know, they're they're not even thinking life is short. It's just beginning. You know, it's just the start of their life. And then the other one was when he said, I'm not going to wait till I retire. I'm going to do everything up front. And I feel like you know, who does that? You know, who even thinks that? Because even I thought it was thinking, well, when my husband retires, we can do this or that. And um, never, ever thinking you do that up front. Um, And then I think even my own heart 
maybe I had some kind of knowledge in there because I can remember with the first two and we had given our family size to God. So I thought I was going to have 12 or 13 kids. And so as they came along, my goal was that they would be able to brush their own teeth and wash their own hair and feed themselves. And there were all these little mile mo- milestones that I was marking off and thinking, yes, then the older ones can help with the younger ones. And mm-hmm. so I was all excited to watch them progress and grow. And when my oldest two got as tall as me, well, I was excited. I thought, yes, we're, we're getting out of the trenches. We're going with this. And But Timothy was the third one. And I remember picking something up off the floor in the boys' room. And I stood up and I was eye to eye with him. And my heart sank. And I just I got teary-eyed. I, I was like, oh, he's growing up. And it was a totally different attitude than than with the two ahead of him where it was, I was just excited about everything they did but and for him it would be like oh it, it was it was just a, it hurt my heart you know that he was growing up and I don't know why other than maybe there's something in me that that knew it would be short mm. yeah that, that could be that could be I wouldn't doubt that one bit you know you you mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but I just kind of want to revisit it again. Um, you said this also at the, at the while we're waiting uh, mom's retreat that we went to, you said everyone is indestructible until their purpose is finished. Would you just flesh that out for us a little bit? Yeah. So I got that idea a long time ago and it even helped me with the babies. Like, that there's no there's really no room for guilt if you believe that a child is indestructible until their purpose is finished there's nothing you could do that would damage god's plan for them there's nothing you could do that would stop that like you're not bigger than god you can't you know just change his plan why anything you did but i base it on the scripture where like in luke where the crowd was going to throw him off a cliff, throw Jesus off of a cliff and, and kill him. And he just walked right through the crowd and went on his way and they lost him. And it wasn't his time. He did come to this planet to die for our sins, but it wasn't time for that. And then in John, it said, again, they went to stone him. They were going to stone Jesus, and he just disappeared, just walked out of the crowd, and they couldn't, you know, gone again. And so it wasn't his time, even though that was part of his purpose was to die, but it wasn't like that, and it wasn't there. And then even as a baby, when he his family fled to Egypt to hide him from Herod, there were so many times, really, that Jesus was someone tried to kill him and it wasn't his time and he was indestructible until his purpose was finished. And, and I see that in life because why would God put a purpose in a person's life and then allow that to not come to pass? And so I rested on that. And at one point, Timothy had gone to a, a missionary conference in Brazil, I think it was. And there he had met a missionary to North Korea. And this fellow had told about how they had to hide and they had to be really discreet and to 
get the message out and the gospel out without being arrested. And the if you know the atmosphere in North Korea, it's not conducive to mission work. It is right. they're not yeah, they are hostile to missionaries and the gospel. So it's a very dangerous place to be. But Timothy came back and um, most of our conversations were in the kitchen and he stood by the coffee pot and he said, Mom, what would you say if I told you that I was going to go to North Korea? And I said, son, if that is where God is calling you, then that is the safest place on earth for you to be. And again, believing that he's indestructible until his purpose is finished. And if that purpose was over there in North Korea, then and that's where he needs to go. And he never did go to North Korea, but I found out just recently from my oldest son that he told him that he climbed this mountain or some type of cliff that separates the two halves. He was in South Korea and looked over into North Korea, wow. and that's as close as he got. He didn't yeah. really go into the country. But yeah, I have always believed that, and that's how people would ask me, aren't you worried about your kids going all over the world and doing dangerous things. And one of my daughters is a deputy sheriff and one was a nurse in the thick of COVID and wow. working on a, on a COVID wing, you know, and then another in mission work. And, and I said, honestly, I, I don't feel like I worry about them. I don't think I did because we're indestructible until our purpose is finished. And I want them about the Lord's work. I, I don't want to like keep them in a box and try to keep them safe. And when there's a life to live out there and their calling is outside of these, outside of these walls, I just always knew that. Yeah. Again, it comes back to the sovereignty of God, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what we can rest in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let me ask you just a couple more questions. We've been talking for quite a long time, and so we need to get close to wrapping up. But one question here, what about a year after Timothy's homegoing, you experienced another loss. So would you mind talking about that a little bit? Yes. Um, so my husband, in April, not almost a year after Timothy's passing, he died as well. Mm -hmm. And I try to, it, this, I have, well, now I'm getting all tangled up here, but um, he had some medical issues. He had diabetes, of course, and still had that going on for 30 years. And he didn't ever check his blood sugar, but he would go to the doctor and he said, that's good enough. You know, they check it for me. And so, and he never changed his insulin no matter how much he ate or worked or anything, it's always the same. And so that would affect his moods, you know, whether his blood sugar up or down. Sure. And then all of the things with Timothy, um, we had to, you know, of course, take over his estate because Timothy was never married. And so we had been just neck deep in that process for a solid year and always grieving. You know, we it was a house of mourning. Yeah, That's the scripture speaks of living in a house of mourning. Yeah. And and I realized later, looking back, there's a lot of things you look back and see differently, but I hadn't prayed that prayer with my husband. I had prayed it with my children and my grandchildren. But for some reason, I thought he wanted to be alone in his 
grieving. I, I thought he wanted to be private, I guess is the word mm-hmm. I'm looking for. Because sure. um, men are more like that. You know, they don't want to share. And and he didn't seem to want to. And um, almost without warning, with completely no hint of anything wrong other than his health, he seemed to one day just go off chain is what I call it. And he took his life and it was absolutely a shock. And other than the medical, I think maybe a chemical imbalance Mm -hmm. of some sort that just made, made him not think about what was going on and and become irrational. I I mean, that's what happened. Mm -hmm. I was here and I saw the uh, just totally irrational behavior and words and thoughts and, um, and so that's what I go by is I think it was some chemical imbalance that just caused that to happen. And we have, we're, we haven't got the test results back yet from the autopsy and the medical report. And they did some extra tests that we asked them to do because of that. So it's taking longer and um, it's been five months now. And I, some, I think uh, I don't know if I was already just living in a place of grieving and sadness. And this was just another thing that came into that. Like you've already, I tell people that when Timothy's plane crashed, it was like an explosion, like a bomb went off in our home. And, and it was, it was not like when the babies passed, I think of that like a blanket of grief or a fog of grief that settled down over me, especially as the mom. But, but then Timothy was an explosion and like a chainsaw. To, for me, I just think of a chainsaw um, amputation of my heart, just like n- nothing. It was just unreal. It was like, you didn't think we could live through that. And then with my husband, it was more like, like when there's been an explosion and then you throw it, throw some fire on it you know you just add throw a match in there among it and it's already just been devastated and so I don't know if um it was so traumatic that it was uh really hard to process and I'm not sure if I've even done that and I I keep working through it and I on the daily I tell the Lord you know it makes me sad that my husband's not here to drink my morning tea with me and but I give that to you and I ask you to replace it with your peace and let me know what I need to know. And uh, so pretty much every day, all day, I'll be, you just run into those triggers and those sad things. And, and so I'm always just handing that to God, just like, okay, here's another. And so I think because of that, I have been able to just keep walking, just, because God is carrying the sadness for me. And that's another scriptural aspect of this is he, um, this, Isaiah says he carried our griefs. He bore our sorrows and carried our griefs. And I think as Christians, we will accept the fact that he carried our sins on the cross and that he paid for those, but we don't realize he also carried our grief and our sorrow. And so we can let him or not, you know, and I think through 
the Bible also says you perish for a lack of knowledge. And I think that some people, and myself included, I could die of grief. I mean, it's so heavy. I could have died just from the grief if I didn't know that I could give it to Jesus and let him carry it. And that is the only way that I have made it. I'm not going to say it's the whole healing, but it's a big piece of it. And it's just, you know, part of the pieces of the puzzle of how to continue, but how to continue living Mm. when something that huge happens, that devastating. And my husband and I, we've been married 34 years and um, it's with no warning at all. Like just never even thoughts of any self-harm. It's just been, I think it took four months before I really cried about it. And I, I read that on another Facebook page of widows of suicide. And one of the ladies said it took her four months to cry. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And a lot of people were commenting the same thing. And there must be something about the shock waves Mm -hmm. that come from that, that kind of push that grieving out a ways so that until you can, can do it. And, you know, because at first it's just too hard, it's too big, but I just kept handing the grief and the anger too. I, that's another thing that I have learned as I went is you can do that with anger too and say, Lord, it makes me angry that this happened and this happened and the way it happened. And, but I don't want to be that angry person. I don't want to live that way and I don't want to have anger. And, and so I'm going to give that to you as well to carry and replace that with your peace and show me what I need to know or tell me in my spirit and my heart what I need to know. And um, he is faithful. Again, he's faithful to do that. And I don't always get a word like my children got, my grandchildren. I don't always get some really, you know, profound word in my heart. But sometimes I go get the Bible and I just start, I just start going through it until I find something. I just start flipping pages. And I don't know, other people might have better methods than that. But Timothy would call it the holy flop, where you just take your Bible and open it. Mm-hmm. just and see what's there. And that has helped me a lot of times. My The first verse I look at will be the one I need to see that speaks right to my heart, to my problem. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I love how, you know, back to your prayer, that you use the vocabulary of replace it with your peace. You know, mm-hmm, take mm-hmm. that and replace it with your peace because that was something for me with um, our situation with Hannah, of course, very different from from your story in that she died of cancer, but her final moments were very, um, very difficult and very ugly mm-hmm. and, and very hard to live with. Right. And that was something that every time I closed my eyes, I would see that again. Or every time I, it seemed like yes. when I was driving in my car, you know, when you're yes. driving, there's nothing else to do but think. And yes. so you would just kind of relive that again and relive that again. It was just, it was just driving me crazy. And I began to pray that, you know, I was praying, God, take that away, take that away, take that away. Mm-hmm. And then I finally started to realize, well, I need him to replace it with something. Yes. <laughs> Lord, take that away and replace it with 
your peace, basically, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. what I was saying. Yes. Replace it right. with something good. Replace it mm-hmm. with a good memory. And he was faithful to do that. And I rarely, rarely ever go back to those really awful moments anymore because he's mm-hmm. replaced that. And yeah. um, so I think that uh, I love your whole prayer, but that's one of my favorite parts is replace it with your peace. Because yes. if his if he replaces it with peace, that kind of covers everything. And um Right. Yeah. It can also work with guilt as well. Exactly. To yes. Li- list those reasons that, uh, because mom guilt is huge. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but I could put the blame on myself for so many things. And absolutely. So many things I wish I had said, and I wish I hadn't said, and I wish I hadn't done. And um, so all those, I just tell them to the Lord. I make a list and, and repent because a lot of times there is a measure in there that we probably should have done differently. You know, there, there is a little measure of true guilt mixed in with the false guilt. And, and so I go ahead and repent for, I shouldn't have raised my voice, you know, and I should have had a different response to that. And I wasn't as loving as I should have been. And um, to repent of those first and then ask the Lord to forgive me and to reclaim the ground that I gave to the enemy at that time where he camps, you know, to torment me and reclaim that ground and um, then ask God to replace that with his truth. Mm. And he's faithful with that too. And I know this is the longest interview you've ever had, but um, when I, I went back to the place where I got my grief prayer certification because I could pray with my children and help them, but I needed someone to help me. And it's so much better to have a person than to work through it by yourself. And so I went back and I said, I've just got to have help. And of course they're so gracious and they don't charge any money. And it's just, everybody helps each other. And um, I said, one thing that was really bothering me was when we cleaned out Timothy's house, And I found all of his certifications of all these things that he had studied so hard for. And he had so many books and certificates and tests that he had really worked for. And I thought, all of these things, all of these accomplishments, and it seemed like a waste. Like it's gone. Like he's gone now. So this is a waste. Almost a waste of a life is what I was feeling. And I I just told my prayer partner there, I said, this is how I'm feeling. This is, and and I've learned that no matter what you're feeling, it is okay to feel that way. You just need to take it to the Lord and ask, is it true? You know, is this, what is the truth? And, and so he prayed with me and said, okay, here's what she's, Lord, she's thinking this is a waste of a life and all that work for nothing. What is it you want her to know? And I saw in my mind uh, when Timothy was about eight years old and he came up to me and put his arms around my neck and, and whispered in my ear, I love you. And I said, I love you. And honestly, like, like my grandson, I don't know if that really happened ever, but I saw, I saw it, you know, in my mind and this happened, you know, that we told each other, I love you when he was a little boy and the realization came to me there that even if he had never accomplished anything, if he had never gone to any other countries or learned any other languages or passed any tests or certificates, his life would not have been a waste. Exactly. 
because he was mine. He was mine. <laughs> and it was not a waste because I had him for eight years at that, you know, in that little picture God showed me. And yeah. for tw 20 more years after that, yeah. that I was able to enjoy him and to uh, share his life with him and his, you know, his passes and his fails and his ups and his downs. And um, it was not, nothing was a waste. Yeah. And so just a little that, I mean, to just sit at Jesus' feet long enough to hear, because I think I'm, tend, I tend to be Martha oh, and I, I'm busy, 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 busy. And I don't want to, you know, I'll say a prayer as I go through the house, but you, you have to sit down at Jesus' feet and be merry for a couple of minutes to be able to hear what he wants to tell you. And it's a, it's a different thing. And uh, I prayed with my daughter over the phone the other day and I could hear some noise going on. I said, what are you doing? I'm starting some laundry. I said, no, <laughs> you, you go sit down, <laughs> you go sit down, you close your eyes and we're going to be merry. We're going to sit down and we're going to mm -hmm. listen. We're going to mm -hmm. listen to Jesus. And she got a very beautiful word from the Lord, mm -hmm. but just, just had to set aside the time and, and listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard to do that when you're a Martha. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, and and just what you were saying about you had the the eight years, you know, that where you imagined or pictured that time with him, and mm -hmm. then the twenty years past that, and so those twenty eight years here. But oh my goodness, we have eternity uh, with yes. our kids. So yeah. you yeah. know, even if even if their life was five days like Benjamin, or just the time in the womb, like Jeremiah and Jordan, that's not a waste either. Right, right. <laughs> because we have eternity, you know, yes, we yes. still have have time with our children, uh, however long they were here. And right. um, so that's a wonderful promise and yes. something to look forward to for sure. Forever. Yeah, absolutely. So quick answer to this one. I always like to ask this question as I kind of close out an interview. Has music been an important part of your grief journey? And if so, what is on your playlist? Well, the biggest thing is, and I didn't even know this song until after Timothy passed, and it's called Almost Home. And it it was all the words that I had been thinking because I was telling my kids, Timothy has already crossed the finish line. And he already has the trophy and we can see that finish line from here and we're almost there. Just cut loose the baggage. There's no, no time now for baggage, cut it loose and run. And we're almost there. And this song is almost exactly those words. And it has blessed me so much. I can't sing it without crying. I can't hear it without crying, but it's, it keeps me focused that this Life is so brief. Mm -hmm. It is so brief and short for all of us, really. And yeah. we're almost there. Yeah. Oh, that is good to think about. In the show notes, we're going to put a link to your book, Desperate Trust, um, in case anybody wants to uh, take a look at that. That is your stories of your babies. But then there's also a website. Um, yes. 
that you can go to because, you know, you told us about some of Timothy's adventures. You just barely scratched the surface. Right. So you can visit timothyallisonaviation.org. And I will put a link to that in the show notes where you can read so much more about Tim and all the adventures that he had and about his character and his accomplishments and all of the things that that just made him who he is. And uh, I think a lot of people will like to read a little bit more about him. Yes. Yeah. I would be so honored for anyone to look at his stories about his life. I love sharing who he was with the world, and it's therapeutic to me to write the stories and a place to keep them. Uh, That website was a long time in the making because I am not a techie person. Yeah. Well, I was looking at it again this afternoon, just preparing for this interview. And I was like, wow, she's pretty good at this website stuff. So (laughs) I think you're I think you're doing all right. I'm learning. I'm learning. (laughs) Okay. well, is there anything else that you'd like to share before we wrap up? Well, one thing I'll share about my husband is that he he would always this was a funny little thing we did, but he knew that I liked flowers. so. He would go outside earlier than me every morning and he would come back in if there was anything new blooming and he would say, get your shoes on and come out. You got to see this. And I knew it'd be a tree or a bush or a flower. Something was blooming. Or he would say, have you seen your daffodils or whatever they were? And, and I would have to come out and look. And sometimes he would make me guess and I have to scan the yard to try to find what was blooming. And after he passed, well, in the years, years ago, I had planted this rose bush and it never did anything, just long thorny branches. And I kept cutting it back and feeding it and watering it. Nothing ever happened. I finally dug it up and threw it over the fence. And then in, I planted a mum there instead. And in the year since Timothy passed, I didn't really take care of the flower beds. And I don't know if that's how this happened, but this rose bush grew back. And I didn't know it. And especially after her passed away in early April, a month or so later, I went outside and I happened to look over in the flower bed and there was this beautiful rose bush covered with red roses. And it had never done that. And in fact, like I say, I dug it up and it was just a miracle. It was like the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. And at the end, you know, when it, materializes into something else and it it was like and i know and i I know that people don't come back and do things here and manipulate things on earth after they've already passed that's not what happened but i know that god knew how to comfort me and he knew that that was a special thing (laughs) between herb and i was to have flowers that that he would like to say, come and see this. And I felt like the Lord was saying, have you seen this rose bush? <laughs> come, come out here and see this. And so it was just kind of a little, um, like a bouquet that the Lord gave me, I think, uh, because he knew the way to my heart. He knew what would make me happy yes. in that moment. So, yeah. I do believe that God does that for us, that He gives us these little reminders of His love and that He is with us, and they're they're personal like that. Right, you know? right, right. Yeah, I love that. A bouquet of roses. <laughs> right, right. And then I clipped them all off when they died. I waited till they died, and I told the grandkids, I said, these will all grow back. They'll grow back. They haven't. They never, nothing else has come back on mm-hmm. that. It's just nothing. It was like, yeah. oh. A one-time show for me. Yeah, that was a special gift just for you. 
Right. Well, thank you so much for coming on and being my guest today and sharing the story of your precious babies and your amazing Timothy and your husband, Herb, and just for God's faithfulness um, in your journey over the last, well, a bunch of years now, uh, but especially in the recent years with these new losses that you've endured. And I just feel like you have a lot of wisdom to share in the middle of your own grief and, um, I just appreciate it. So thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. I just hope and pray that anything that I've gone through could help somebody else. And if it does, then I'm very grateful. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the While We're Waiting, Hope After Child Loss podcast. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please take just a moment to leave a rating or a review, and please feel free to share it with someone you know who might be helped by it. We're so grateful for all of you who come back and listen every week, and those of you who may be listening for the very first time. I hope God has used it to encourage you today and to help you live well while you're waiting.